Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Joining me on the podcast today is Dr. Benjamin Ritter. He's a leadership and career coach and founder of Live For Yourself Consulting. But before we get a chance to speak to Ben, it's the Leadership Hacking News. In the news today, we explore careers that are taking off in the post-pandemic world. We've been contacted by a number of our listeners asking us to explore what are the next best places to work and what are the sectors that are rising stars in amongst the post-pandemic era. When it comes to the future, uncertainty is the only certainty. Think about remote work. Way back in 2019, it was slowly gaining acceptance that most managers would allow people to maybe work from home on a Friday or a Monday. 2020, companies and their employees were forced to adapt. And today, many workers have traded that long commute for a casual stroll to their home office or to their lounge or kitchen or wherever they work from. So when it comes to predicting which careers will flourish in a post-COVID world, that's not easy, but there are some definite trends. Of course, if you're already loving your career, I'm not suggesting any radical change or course of action here. However, if you are considering a change, here are the top five growing fields that perhaps could lead the way to a new future. Maybe unsurprisingly, but healthcare leads the way. Those working in healthcare have really promoted and demonstrated the abilities that they have and the impact that they have across our communities that perhaps weren't visible before the pandemic. And careers such as nursing are getting huge amounts of interest. And of course, now you'll have to earn a bachelor's degree or a science or associate degree in nursing. Then you'll need to be licensed in some countries. It's truly proved that nursing is a professional and respected career and many people are attracted to that level of rigour and indeed impact on society. And with many responses being passed to the nursing community, introducing roles such as nursing practitioners who are responsible to do as many things as many GPs do has elevated their reward and recognition that comes along with it. But despite this, many people still see this as a purpose-driven role one that people can make an impact on communities and society. Second on the list is information technology. Of course, IT has been a growth field for years. What's different, of course, is the increased focus on remote work and smart technology has increased the demand for things like software development and app development. Organizations are pivoting their recruitment strategies to hire people who can code online and who can work remotely that tap into infrastructure. The Office for National Statistics in the UK has seen this increase by 18% and the Bureau of Labour Statistics in the US has seen this grow by 22% this year. And with the average income over six figures, it's definitely pulling people into this space. Supply chain management comes in at third and you probably aren't surprised to find that this is a growth field. The panic buying that began before last year's lockdowns 
shifted the focus away from that just-in-time delivery methodology that many retailers have long relied on. Jobs in this field include things like purchase and agents, logistic analysts, distribution managers, procurement. And although many start out with having to have a degree, many top earners in this field are often coming from an engineering or a practical background where they understand the supply chain. So if you're skilled with maths and statistics and have good sound engineering principles, then supply chain management might be a career route for you. Financial management is next. Careers in this field are expected to grow by over 15% in the next 10 years. Financial advisors, financial managers are hired to examine a company's spending and income, looking for ways to maximize profitability. Fortune 500 and FTSE 100 companies often seek candidates with an MBA, although smaller organizations now are hiring managers with a simple degree or bachelor's degree, or even offering modern day apprenticeships in the world of finance and accounting. This means there's a really great pipeline of young talent growing into the world of the financial accounting space and the financial advising space. And remember, apprenticeships in the UK are not about age. Many organisations are hiring senior people in their second or third career who are looking to apply their life skills with a new approach to work. And the last one that's on the list is actuarial and statisticians. Now, actuaries enjoy enormous income relative to their peer groups in accounting. And it's also expected that this is going to grow by another 20% in the next 10 years. And with the average income of way over six figures, what was seen as quite an often stuffy and introverted role and job is now attracting great new talent. If you enjoy data and statistics, that could be the perfect high growth field for you. And of course, we've looked at some high paying and growing and trending careers. And the best job for you might not be about being highly paid, nor the fastest growth. The key thing is leveraging your skills, achieving the best possible outcome and finding your purpose within it. And besides, how many of us would have guessed that the number one fastest growing occupation, according to the Office of National Statistics, is cinema projectionists, and in America, motion picture projectionists. So it turns out we are returning back to normal. We are getting out there and we are consuming more movies than ever before. That's been the Leadership Hacking News. If you have any stories or you want us to talk about a certain topic on the show, please get in touch. Dr. Benjamin Ritter is our guest on today's show. He's a globally renowned leadership and career coach. He's the founder of Live For Yourself, LFY Consulting. He's a speaker, podcaster and author. Ben, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. I am ready to get hacking. Let's do it. Good stuff. And me too. So first hacking then, let's get to how you come to do what you did now, because I know there were lots of twists and turns on your path. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, there are a lot of twists and turns. I think most importantly, I was working as a healthcare executive and I was promoted into that role from a position that I really enjoyed, which tends to happen to high achievers. So I was really, um, I felt my work was meaningful when when I was initially working in healthcare as a, it's a group systems analyst in the official title, but basically I was in process improvement. I was improving clinical outcomes for patients. I did such a good job that they made me a manager of business operations, which basically is kind of the right hand of all the executives. And then I was on the executive team, but I was a doer and I got things done. And so I worked as a financial manager. I worked, uh, I worked in business development. I mean, you name it, I did something for it. I worked uh, with everyone on the team. 
but I didn't do any of the stuff that I used to like before that. And so over time, I started to resent my position and resent my organization because I didn't feel that it was giving me meaning anymore. I blamed it for not giving me direction. I mean, there's, there's a certain, like there's a certain positive aspect of having autonomy, uh, but it becomes negative when you don't have clarity right? in terms of what you are actually supposed to achieve and what you're supposed to do and, and why that's, why that matters to you, what's meaningful about it. And so I got into this place in my life where I was bringing negativity home with me. Uh, and when I went into work, I wasn't really trying to work. I was really trying to avoid doing anything because I didn't see the point. I was like, why am I here? This is pointless. All these people that, why, why should I invest in them? And I was built, I was like big digging my own grave, to be honest. And they still thought that I was a high achiever because I would do the work that they wanted me to do while I was just getting more spiteful and resentful as every day went on. And did you notice the parallel before? So you, you mentioned the fact that it didn't give you that sense of, of purpose than it did from the work you did before. What was the kind of the moment when you recognized that was the case? Well, luckily that came to me uh, one day when I was walking to work, when I was kind of seething that I had to go back into work again. And I kind of had two feet out the front door. And it wasn't really that I knew what it was that brought me meaning. And I didn't have the sit down and, reflect and reflective moment up to that point. I just knew that I didn't feel the same way. And so luckily, though, I had this little epiphany moment when I was going into work and kind of looking around me and, and it said, I sensed that everybody was feeling the exact same way that I was walking by, like these zombies walking into a work that they hated and that they, they were just, that was so dreadful to them. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm doing this. It's not my employer. I'm creating this for myself. I am the curator of my own environment, my own mindset. And that's when I actually woke up and I, I started asking myself the tough questions. Like, why do I feel this way? Why did I, why did I feel that my work was meaningful before? What is it that I really want to accomplish right now at this job? What skills do I want to learn? Uh, who do I really enjoy working with? How do I invest more time in them? And that led to me finally pivoting from what I was doing to having a little bit more direction. And I, I get it. We, we tend to be very reactive in our careers. And up to that point, I was very reactive. You know, I didn't, mean to work in healthcare. I fell into it because I was networking my, I was networking my butt off because it was the middle of a recession. I couldn't get a full-time job for two and a half years um, out of grad school when I had two, two graduate degrees and, and experience in public health. And every job offer that I got during that time was actually canceled after I signed on the dotted line. This happened four times. And so I was just looking for something, anything. And you know, how you got to the job you're in today is very much reflective of how you think about it. And how you think about your career and how you think about work. And so as a leader, you know, if you're, if you're working with employees, they all have their own backstories. And at that point in my time, my backstory was, you know, you, you didn't do what you wanted to do. You took what you could get. And the organization was the one responsible for creating your job. Right. So what you're really talking about is you were asking yourself a series of questions. And for me, that sounds a bit like coaching. Did you recognize that that's actually perhaps what you were doing at the time was coaching yourself. And that's why I pivoted towards this industry. So at the time I was side hustling as a coach in a different area, more like life and dating and relationships. I was an avid, passionate kind of personal, you know, thought leader in terms of personal development, and professional development. Cause it, there was a, I lost who I was when I was younger and we can touch, touch on this, but I became interested in the field of personal professional development because of it. 
And so at the time, that was something that I'd spend a lot of my, my free time on. I'd be reading and studying and learning. And then so now I'm doing it as a side hustle. But then I also was selected for 16 months of leadership training. So I had my own coach, per se, in the organization, director of people. We met like once a month, maybe less. But it was something. It, it helped me become aware of the fact that this existed. And so very much so, when I was going through this transition, I think mentally, you know, when I was waking up, I knew that I had to coach myself. And I coached myself in every other area of my life, from confidence to interpersonal dynamics to dating. I mean, I, I studied business, how to be persuasive and what worked in terms of, of marketing and sales in, in just how to walk into a room and create friendships. But I kind of forgot that we needed to do the same for our career. And I think we're taught that, you know, throughout our lives, we're taught that you don't choose what you do or how you do it. You find some place to do it and you do it there. It's just, it, it was, a, it was, I kind of had to wake up and get it and change my mindset in, in relationship to work. I had a really interesting conversation just this week, actually, with uh, a guy I was coaching who was a senior executive for a firm. And what he was describing to me is his challenge of that work and life balance. And for me, that's where the problem was because he was trying to segregate activities and behaviors at work and at home. And actually they're interconnected. That's just life. But he was giving himself these completely different set of rules to how to behave at home and how to behave at work. And then he was neither genuine in either position. What's your take on that? Well, it sounds like such a separation. I, I was two-faced for the majority of my career. You know, when I was working in public health, I was going to school full-time and I was bartending full-time and working odd jobs and like promotions, uh, like as a brand ambassador to pay for it all, even though I was still working for the school as well. And then when I was working in healthcare, I was side hustling as a, you know, as a coach trying to get a business off the ground and also having other income streams, like still working in hospitality and bartending. And I never brought my full self to work. And, you know, I had experiences that I think created that. I mean, when I, when I first interviewed for the job in healthcare, I got to the final round um, and I got the interview by networking as a bartender. Like I met someone across the bar and he got one of my friends a job as an RN and then ended up getting me an interview. I found out that the CEO didn't select, well, not the CEO, the VP at the time didn't select me because he found out that I was a bartender. And, you know, they brought me back a year later, exactly a year later when that person transitioned to a different site, a different hospital to get trained to be the CEO, by the way, for the current hospital. Um, they brought me back and hired me. And, you know, there, there are certain experiences that I've had that kind of taught me not to bring my full self to work, which I think is very detrimental to our own health. Because I tell you today, I am who I am. I am my full self. And it is so freeing. And I don't want to work for an organization that doesn't allow me to bring my full self to work. So it's a really interesting perspective. And I just want to explore it a little more for you. So in bringing your full self to work, how do you know that you're not hanging on to some of that baggage of the past? Well, we're in a day and age, and I think directly answer your question indirectly. We're working in a day and age where a lot of us are remote and virtual. And so now there are cameras with into our homes and into our lives. And we're also forcing connection because without having connection within the workplace, we need to create the opportunities to connect. So we're doing icebreakers, hopefully, and we're doing happy hours. And right. we are posing, we're, we're basically um, prompting questions that we normally might not have even have answered in the normal in-person environment. And there's this desire and need or movement towards bringing your whole self to work. 
And there are a lot of individuals that are afraid of this, especially new leaders on, am I really acting like a leader if I share a certain issue that's happening in my life or I share how I feel about something in my life? And I think there's a fine balance between people who know who you are and what you care about and what you enjoy and what you're dealing with and what your story is to I'm really emotionally responding to this situation that I'm going to feel different about tomorrow. And I think there's a, there's a strong distinction there between, you know, who I am. So we have built a a relationship to, you know, uh, how I feel when I want to complain. Right. Which I think some people don't fully understand that separation. Yeah. One of the things I think is prevalent amongst most entrepreneurs and most successful leaders that I've spoken to on the podcast and indeed coached and worked with is this real focus around making sure that they are steadfast, they are well physically and mentally before they start thinking about what else is on their journey. And lots of great leaders attribute that self-leadership as a real key tenet of their behaviors as well as their approach to how they lead their businesses. And you developed something similar to that along the the lines of self-leadership and you call it your three C's. I wonder if you could tell us the story about how that came about and maybe spin us through the three C's themselves. Yeah. And, and just to, cause I don't want to overlook your last question. I think they're interrelated. If there's something that you want to accomplish or feel like you want to say or do in your place of employment and you are not doing it, then it's probably due to a story or expectation or previous experience that you've had related to work. And so if you ask yourself, what do I want to accomplish? And what do I really want? What are my goals? Which people tend not to actually define, which is the first C of self-leadership. And you find that you're not taking action there. And there usually is something that you need to identify from your beliefs about work, about leadership, about organizations that you need to then challenge. And so the the three C's of self-leadership came about because I was working with clients initially with the live system, the live framework. And this was goals, intentions, values, and expectations. It was like a decision-making process that I would take clients through for them to be able to um, feel more comfortable and more fulfilled about what they were trying to achieve. And I realized that some clients had a much easier way of doing it than others. And this is when I was also completing my dissertation. I was researching a bunch about leadership and about job satisfaction, about motivation. And I started just really trying to analyze what was it about these specific clients? What traits did they have that led to greater success? And I discovered that there were three main pillars and components that led them to be able to take action, that led them to be able to lead themselves. And I coined this, the three C's of self-leadership. And there's a lot of three C's out there. (laughs) Luckily, I don't think I've seen these C's together, but a lot of models you'll, you'll tend to see. And I think this is a testament to the fact that it works a lot of similarities between different models out there. And I didn't, I after I created them, I was like, I really hope nobody has these because I'm going to copyright it. (laughs) So luckily nobody did. Uh, But so the first C is clarity. And this is clarity of, you know, what you care about and, you know, why you, but really mainly why you care about it. So what is the motivation, the attachment? I think we've all heard the why is more important than anything, but then that why tends to also create so you have your values you have your motivations you have you know the, really like the heart of what you're trying to achieve but then you have the the what so what am i actually trying to achieve long term and short term and can i break that down to daily tasks so i know what my priorities are on a daily basis the the second c is confidence so when you have clarity in something the, that that is the foundation of confidence if you know why you're trying to achieve something 
and what you stand for and what you're trying to work on, that tends to create a personal sense of belief in yourself and what you're showing up as so that you tend to actually have like a, a lower, like your, your inner critic has less of a voice because you're so adamant and so sure of what you're trying to achieve in yourself. It doesn't change the fact that you need to go study and learn and get educated. So there's confidence is self-efficacy and self-esteem. So it's not just the belief in what you're trying to achieve in yourself, but the belief in the skills that you have. So that requires you to listen to this, you know, listen to this podcast, go sign up for journal articles. Uh, you go talk to people that are in the field that know, you know, have already achieved what you want to achieve. And then, so when you have clarity and, when, and now you're confident in what you're doing and you have the skills for it, you're more likely to take action. And so that's control. This is, I am intentionally acting in a way that is in alignment with the why and uh, what I'm actually looking to achieve in my life. And that control stays constant despite any sort of emotions or situations that you're going in through life and also allows you to build a community around yourself that supports what you're interested in, the other two C's. And it seems to me that they're absolutely interrelated as well, aren't they? Very much so. So for example, let's say you you know like you know what you need to do, but you don't know why you're doing it and don't feel confident in it. A lot of people tend to be in jobs where they don't know why they're doing something and they don't feel like they actually can accomplish it. That is so distressful. I mean, that you that is a situation for burnout. That is going to cause people to leave your organization. Now, let's say you're very confident in something, but you you don't actually take any action towards it. So again, you know, the, like these all need each other to be able to work. You need to have all three. What do you think the reason is that we struggle with the whole notion of self-leadership as a population? And I'm clearly generalizing, but most of the execs I speak to do a great job of leading teams and organizations, but often put themselves further down that pecking order. Oh, there are so many reasons, but I'd say the main one is that we, no one's ever given us permission. No one's ever told us that we are more important than anyone else. And if you know our, our health and our desires and our goals can only be defined by ourselves. And if we don't take care of ourselves, then other people aren't going to be taken care of. Yeah, there's, a, there's almost this perspective, isn't there, that if you do put yourself first, then that's somewhat selfish or even extreme narcissistic but actually it's critical for the benefit of the people that work with you isn't it i love when people here live for yourself and they go that sounds selfish yeah because it is a it is a magnifying glass into how they define self-care how they define really trying to understand what they want to achieve because if you don't feel that you're important you're never going to spend time figuring out what you want to do and so if you don't figure out what you want to do, then can you imagine all of your actions are going to be based on other people's desires? Where does that then leave you? So how do you get permission? How do you end up giving yourself permission and feel secure and safe in the knowledge that it's okay to focus on you? Well, I'd, I'd go out on a limb here and say that we both give all the listeners permission yeah. to pause and figure out what is it that they really care about? You know, what's at the core of their attitudes and beliefs? And how that translate how that translates to goals, and it doesn't mean. So I, I've seen a lot. You know, it's it's the great resignation. Everyone's leaving losing leaving their jobs because they feel that the solution isn't in the organization that they're at. And I, when I first started in this field, my message was: fix where you're at, craft your job to be. You know, craft the job you have to to become a job you love. 
because most of the time the solution is not somewhere else. The solution's inside. And then it's being able to feel empowered and to have the permission to alter where you're currently at to be best fit for you. You see this a lot with leaders. Yeah. That's where the adage, the grass isn't always greener comes from, isn't it? Because people have this perception that oh, I'll just go work for another organization, but actually the root cause often is ourselves. You go somewhere, you work for six months and you don't really have the opportunity to sit and think because it's a new job and everything's new and novel and you're learning. And so after six months, you start noticing the issues. This isn't really what I wanted. This isn't the work that I thought I signed up for. These aren't the people that I really wanted to be around. I don't really understand why we're doing this, the impact. And so then you wait, you kind of coast around for another six months. You see, maybe it will change. And then you spend the next year looking for another job and then you leave. It's so ironic, isn't it? And it repeats itself, I suspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd love to see a, a career ladder within organizations. And I think there's a lot of people that are discussing it now. How do you career map? Right? How do you retain your talent by giving them opportunities in the organization itself? Well, you can't do that unless people in your organization actually feel like they have permission to do that. And you can't, you can't make that happen if the leaders aren't aware that they need to start looking for opportunities to develop and grow their talent instead of just have them meet their expectations at their job. So you talked a little earlier around this kind of almost epiphany that you had, which led you on this path now. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with Live For Yourself and maybe some of the key areas of focus that you're helping others with now. It's kind of split into two main areas. I'll work with organizations, I'll host you know, ad hoc corporate workshops, I'll create performance development programs, new manager training, go in and, and redo communication structures and de-silo organizations uh, to coach one-on-one -on -one with leaders, uh, group coaching an individual. But then it's also working just one-on-one -on -one with senior leaders, the senior managers up to the executive level on how to develop themselves. Right? how to feel confident in their role, how to show up, how to define their executive presence, how to lead and manage teams in a way that leads to the specific outcomes that they want, but also how to find another job if it's not right for you. Like if where you're at really isn't right for you, how to find a place to, that it can be right because there is so much you can do it in an organization. Right. And if you one day wake up and realize that what you want to do isn't where you're at or you find meaning from different things and where you're at because you haven't thought about it before, it's okay to leave. It's okay to make that pivot. And how much of the great resignation that you spoke about that's happening, and it's not just in North America and Europe, it's happening in pockets all over the world. How much of that do you put down to the global pandemic versus it's just the opportunity to cause people to spend more time being intra-focused? Yeah, think about the times that you've had major change in your life. Like graduation from uni, moving maybe to a new area, the end of a relationship, the start of a new relationship, the end of uh, someone close to you, uh, and um, hearing a certain story, right? That also highlighted the fact that life is short, potentially. An injury, you know, an injury potentially to yourself as well. Anytime that we remember, right, have, have reasons to remember uh, that what we were doing was comfortable and that there are other options. Anytime there's disruption leads to growth and the world has been heavily disrupted heavily. Yes. And so no matter what, that's going to cause you to start reflecting on what you've been doing, why you've been doing it and what you want to do next. And at the same time, I think we've shown that uh, there are more opportunities and options in the world than maybe we previously thought. Right. Yeah. 
put those things together and all of a sudden now you have what we, you know, what we call the great resignation. What I would be careful of is if we don't spread this message. And I think of what we're talking about today, that it's not where you are that matters more so than how you show up where you are, Mm. then this is going to keep happening. Yeah. And for many people, then, not in the position to leave a role, leave a job, leave an organization, go find another. And many of our listeners who are listening to this podcast from different jurisdictions and countries around the world haven't got the luxuries of being able to just walk and find another gig. So re-engineering themselves is a fantastic way of creating a new job in the same organization almost, isn't it? And you can't do that without self-leadership. It's, I tell people often when I work with them as clients and not as clients, where you are is not as bad as you think. And it might be, right? It might, it might eventually be, but have you done the work to figure that out? And have you actually put the effort in to change where you're at, to be, to be more suited to you? Now, sometimes you don't have a leader that actually allows that to happen. They block you. But have you tried? Have you tried to have the conversation with them? And often, especially when I first start working with the clients, those conversations haven't happened. I don't know about you, but have you, someone comes on as a client and they go, I really want this to happen in my organization. I really want to do this type of work. And great. What have you done so far for it? Exactly. It's it's the first question, isn't it? And you often find the responses. I've thought about it. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe they've had, they've mentioned it once. And it's that knowing doing gap, isn't it? And actually, if if I was to say there's, there's uh, the biggest thing that I've been seeing lately is that people get the courage like leaders that I've, I've spoken with, you know, employees of all levels, they get the courage to say what they want one time. And the leader says, okay. But it's not the leader's responsibility to follow up. Yes, I, I think that follow up. So, so reliability is a huge part of executive presence. If I was to list off those four keys to executive presence and, and reliability is one. A, a, a real executive would follow up but that doesn't always happen. So we need to take responsibility for what we want. And so how are you following up on the things that you mentioned? You have to be that dripping faucet. That's what self-leadership is. It's I'm going to keep going until I get what I want. Yeah, I love it. So the next part of our show, so this is where I get to hack into your leadership thinking, your leadership brain, and keen to try and take all of that knowledge and get it down to your top three leadership hacks. What would they be, Ben? So leadership hack number one would be communication. Maybe not so secretive to a lot of people, but weekly one-on-ones, conversations with individuals. And so I say one-on-one communication. I can't tell you how many leaders I've worked with that say, I talk to my employees all the time. We have group meetings (laughs) once a week. We talk about projects. Okay, you need to make space. You need to create a safe space to build trust and get to know your employees, to be able to ask questions such as, how's work going? What are your priorities? How can I help with that? Where do you want to go in the organization? You need that information to be able to retain and develop talent. So I'd say that would be number one. The The second piece is that uh, nothing is concrete when it comes to a job role. So let's drop this idea that our, that the, the job description is, is everything. So how, if you want to retain talent or you also want to be happier at work for yourself, understand that there is flexibility in what you do each and every single day. And if it's not in the actual work where that flexibility is, the flexibility is in how you do it. 
So for example, if there's something that you really don't like doing, then can you buffer that with something that you really like doing? Or can you do it while you are at home, if you're in the office? Or can you do it while you're listening to your favorite podcast, such as this? Or in your favorite, you know, cafe? So there's even, not even just not changing the work, but flexibility in how you do the work. So look into job crafting. That comes back down to the control C as well that you talked about earlier, because there is this fake notion of if you have high levels of control, you haven't got space, but actually it's the control that gives you the space and flexibility, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. A third piece would be engage, engage, engage. Can't tell you how often I work with individuals that want to move up and get promoted in the organization. And they think if they do their work, that that's enough. That people, people will know that you're doing good work. And I'd say that, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are at your work if nobody knows about it. And if no one knows who you are for any, any level of leader. And if you're a leader that has employees that have growth, that have intentions for growth, then you should also be pinging them in meetings and having them, having them start speaking up. You, people need to know who you are. You need to develop a professional brand and the day, the day where you will just automatically get promoted and move up in an organization without any knowledge or awareness of you, your work, you know, just even your personality, those are gone. That last one particularly is so important for folk, but actually it comes back down to how I give myself permission and am I feeling confident in order to be able to do that and put myself out there and be vulnerable. It's, it's so scary to some people. And I understand that. I, I have to say probably this year has been the first, the, the, one of the top three things that I've worked with clients on are is fear with presenting and fear with speaking up in meetings. Fear with even just asking for a skip level meeting for someone, you know, above your boss or someone outside of the organization. This is required. There, there's some pretty, uh, pretty staggering statistics on people aren't promoted if they're not in office, right? If you're a virtual, if you're a hybrid workforce. And that's because the FaceTime is missing. So this is even more important now than ever before. If you are working in an organization, have plans to move up or want even opportunities to move up, you need to be dedicating a portion of your a portion of your week to to connecting to engaging. I mean, I, I even say one more thing: make or, make yourself a rule. And I, I do this with clients. Every meeting, you have to ask a question and, and make a comment. Period. No matter what. So tell us how that might go. Yeah. Well, just so you're in a meeting and any topic whatsoever, um, you have to ask a question to a leader or to a coworker. So you're obviously paying attention and you're engaged. And then you also have to make a comment on something that is being said throughout the meeting, no matter what. Uh, that is just, it's a pretty simple rule. I'd say if, you, if you're if you only doing that, you probably will at least, people will be aware of you. But I, I would, from now on, take a look at your meetings and see if you attend meetings or you don't say anything. If you're attending a meeting where you never say anything, you shouldn't be in that meeting. So make it a point to to be engaged in those meetings or don't attend them. It's a great hack because it simply just forces dialogue. It forces, not only does it force you to listen and pay attention because you're going to have to ask a question, but it forces that sense of connectivity across a team. Really simple, but very effective, I would imagine. Yeah. And those are the little things that matter. Yeah, totally. Definitely so. So next part of the show, we call it hack to attack. This is where something in your work or your life hasn't worked as you planned. But as a result of the experience, it's now serving you well. So what would be your hack to attack, Ben? I have so many twists and turns in my career. (laughs) So I I just have to focus on for a second. I wanted to be a professional soccer player growing up. I dedicated my life to it. I 
uh, played D1 athletics. I went overseas, actually played in the UK for a little bit, uh, but not, not professionally, uh, kind of like a feeder team. And when I gave that up, I lost who I was. I had no idea who Ben was because it didn't do anything else. I didn't watch really anything on TV. I didn't have friends that were outside soccer. And it was a, a very low moment in my life. But it brought me to the realm of personal professional development. I took all of my energy that I dedicated to the sport and I said, let's go define who I am. Let's go build confidence. Let's go study social, you know, social psychology, behavioral psychology. And without those moments, without that moment, I I wouldn't have had all the other serendipitous like moments that came after that that led me to today. Still play soccer? I do. I, I actually ended up hurting my knee not uh, two months ago. So it's healing right now, but I'll be back at it. Awesome. Good for you. So the very last thing we're going to take you on is a little bit of time travel now. We get you to have the opportunity to give yourself some advice when you're 21. And if you were now toe-to-toe, face-to-face with Ben at 21, what advice would you give him? Nobody's opinion matters. Nice. My, my mind was my worst enemy as a kid. My lack of confidence in myself, the fact that I'd hit the, hit the field and doubt every single touch I'd have on a ball... The fact that I would not give myself confidence to have a conversation with a stranger, the fact that I would wonder if people were laughing at me when I was walking down the sidewalk, like my mind held me back from so much in my life that when I finally grabbed, when I got hold of it, I was able to be the confident person that I am today, be so sure of myself, to have the clarity that led to confidence and then be able to take actions that were matter- that mattered. It was life-changing. So if anyone doubts themselves today, and, and you know that you doubt yourself when you go into a room and you say something and you look for people's reactions to see if what they think about what you said. Spend some time really figuring out what you care about. Yeah. Because then you'll be, you'll be a little bit more confident in yourself. Awesome advice. Particularly if anybody's listening to this now who is experiencing that, that's going to be a real game changer for them. Question, a bit of a side hack, I guess. How do you keep on track? How do you keep focus? How do you keep that mind serving you in the, in the way that you do today? You show up uh, as the person that you know that you want to be. So I, I know what my top values are and I show up each and every day in alignment with those values. When I don't, that's when I get off track. Yeah. So what are the things that you truly care about and how are you doing them on a daily basis? So health is a big one for me from nutrition to fitness. Uh, and then, you know, I care about talent development and personal leadership development career development. So if I get to show up each and every day. I'm blessed to the point that I've crafted a life where I can do the things that I truly care about. And that allows me to stay on track because that, that, that's what motivates me. Great advice. So Ben, if folk listening to this want to find out a little bit more about the work you do with Live For Yourself and indeed tap into some of your broadcasts, some of your writing, and maybe listen to you speak, where's the best place for us to send them? Go check out liveforyourselfconsulting.com. Just liveforyourselfconsulting.com, all spelled out. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. So if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, tell me that you heard this conversation and say what's on your mind. I'm happy to connect and have a, and continue the conversation. Great stuff. We'll also put those links in our show notes as well. It's important for us to keep that conversation going. And I just want to say thank you, Ben. It was amazing talking to you. It's absolutely because of your work that you do today and your focus and dedication. And you can just hear the passion and energy you have for that self-centered approach to leading yourself. So I want to say thank you for being on our show and being part of our community. Thank you so much for having me. And it's 
just so important and critical to how I live my life. You know, that the most important leader that you're ever going to meet in your life is the one that lives inside you. No one else is responsible or accountable for your own well-being. And let's go live that way. Powerful words. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker.